Welcome back into another episode of the Main Streets Podcast. William Galloway joined with Britton Johnson. Obviously, we're here to talk about the inevitable, and we didn't think the inevitable would come, Britton. Uh, where were you, and what was what was your initial reaction to the Saban retirement? So it's funny. Like you said, it is really a where were you moment. Like I'll probably never forget for the rest of my life just that day and, and, and all of it. I was just kind of in shock. You can't really process it fully. Um, but I was actually at a family friend's house who is an attorney, like talking through some stuff for potentially summer opportunities, but just talking with her all about that. And I was getting up to leave and I see like a flood of messages that had just kind of hit. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna wait till I get to my car to like, look at this because you know, there's a chance it's nothing. And I don't want to freak her out. She was an Alabama fan as well. And, um, so I, I got to the car and I was like, oh my gosh. Cause I, nothing, and, and I think that's part of his genius is that nothing that he did leading up to it indicated that this was going to be it. The way he recruited, the way he was uh, talking to and recruiting coaches to potentially join the staff or interviewing coaches, like everything he did leading up to it said, I am at least going to be here next year. And, and with the way he coached this past year, it felt like he had five quote-unquote prime years in the tank now whether or not it's true obviously it said it started to wear on him um and it, he couldn't coach at 72 like he could at 62 which is it's just kind of on his face a very funny statement um but yeah i mean that's where i was i remember i literally like i checked it and then i started to drive i was like i i my mind was just too flooded i just went to the whole foods parking lot on 280 and sat there for an hour just like reading messages, reading everything, kind of processing it. Um, what about you? I was at work wrapping up my day. I was trying to put, uh, I had gotten a new computer and all my information had just transferred. And I was trying to plug the HDMI jack into the um, connector so that my TV could be a monitor. Anyways, I'm fixing up my new technology, right? And I get this, like you said, flood of text messages. And it's the, oh no, you've got to be kidding me. Tell me it's not real. And those are the same the same type verbiage that the messages came across my phone when Kobe Bryant died. Um, I guess that was four years ago now. And it was one of those things where it was in an Alabama football group chat. And so you knew immediately, but you wanted to deny it. You're like, there's no way. It's a fake report. Like, I think I said uh, at Chris Lowe, I was like, this would be a hell of a prank. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody tweeted, it's not April 1st yet. Come on now. And so... Yeah, you don't forget where you are. It's a surreal moment. And I think to your point of talking about having a good five years left, the Wayne Ingram approach was always someone asked, how many, how much time? Four years. Because you're not too close and you're not too far if you say four years. So you're relatively close. But he talked about, and he always preached, I'll retire when I can't provide the same amount of value that I can, um, that somebody else can. You know, if I'm if I'm taking away from the team, and not bringing as much to the table as possible, then it's time for me to go. And that, I mean, then you got to give him props for how much he's done over the last three to four years, because he didn't show it whatsoever. He didn't show it. Uh, like you said, even up to the last minute, Nick Kelly and others reported that he was working up until three fifty-five, and the team meeting started at four. Um, his family his his close friends, other coaches, people in the athletic department that, um, could have known, didn't know. And I think that speaks to the testament of what he wanted to bring and uh, establishing value and creating value for the program 
up until the very last minute. Obviously, um, once once you look, sit back and look at it, you can't be mad. Um, you can kind of be sad, but you really just have to be thankful because it was it was a ride like you will never forget. I mean, I can sit here and confess that I cried watching that video. Uh, the tribute video that was about four minutes that Crimson Tide Productions put together because it really, I mean, you and I are, when when he came here, you were seven, I was eight. Uh, you might've been six or whatever the gap is. Anyways, it was our childhood. It, growing up, Nick Saban and Alabama football, we were at that age and stage in our life, Britain, we had, you know, we were in our formative years basically of establishing fandom, knowing what was going on in the game, starting to play, you know, sports in elementary school, uh, that really becoming part of our hobbies and and what we did. And so seeing that success not only established but sustained and maintained and adapted through the years, uh, to then now in our mid twenties, what it's become, all these championships, high expectations, um, we'll never see anything like that again in our lives. And I can all but guarantee that. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of crazy to think, obviously like you, you pointed out where we were age wise when he took over. And um, it's one of those things that I remember Alabama games before vaguely. I mean, I was like five, you know, like, but it's one of those things that basically my entire life of, being a sports fan that I really remember, like remember the the ins and outs of the seasons and stuff have all been under saving. And, uh, you know, lucky for us, it's just been an unbelievable ride. The amount of uh, truly joyful moments in my life that have come from watching stupid college football uh, that obviously isn't stupid to us, but, and, and just, it, it's been unbelievable. I mean, aside from it, the, the impact that Nick has had on the state of Alabama, uh, the city of Tuscaloosa, really, I mean, the amount of the people that he's and lives that he's kind of touched uh, and, and hopefully, you know, for many more years will continue to. Um, it, it's been unbelievable on, on a personal note. It's kind of one of those things that I look at what process oriented uh, approach to life and success. Like I, I learned that from him and, I attribute really so much of any, what you would guess call success to that, to taking up that approach. Um, and so I, I think the state of Alabama is probably just in such a better spot for him having been here. And I mean, I, again, it says so much about him that he, he has this multi-million home, million dollar home in Florida. He could have retired immediately left said I'm just going to go play golf with Justin Thomas out in Jupiter, uh, Florida. And, and just enjoy my life of actually having free time for once. But he has stuck around uh, to help with this transition, to sign off on Kalen DeBoer, you know, when it was going through the process, whoever was going to be the head coach. Uh, and then now he's still around. He said he's going to stick around in Tuscaloosa and uh, be there for the guys, which, I mean, I don't know. that I'm already, you know, tilted towards – his you know favoring him at all times but it's just it's unbelievable uh how easy it would just be to step away and just be like i i deserve a break and he does he does and he's still i mean he came into work the next day at like 7 30 before i went to work or did anything um and so he's just he's an unbelievable person unbelievable worker obviously goes without saying the greatest college football coach of all time in my opinion the greatest coach 
uh, in team sports ever. Um, and they don't make them like they used to. They'll never be another Nick Saban. Very well said. I highly agree. And I think you talk about his impact and the people that he influenced. And he had that story and that phrase of saying, you know, if you want to be happy for an hour, eat ice cream. If you want to be happy for a day, go to the lake, If you know, or play golf, whatever. So he goes down the, the line of saying, if you want to be happy. But if you, he talks about if you want to be happy for a lifetime, make an impact on other people's lives. And the thing that stood out the most to me in his interview with Reese Davis is he didn't talk about the championships that he won. Uh, Chris Stewart coined on a podcast I was listening to earlier, you know, he won seven national championships, but there's only six that we care about. Uh, he, he didn't talk about the championships with Reese Davis. He didn't talk about the wins, the SEC titles. He talked about how he hopes that people remember him for the legacy that he left of having a positive impact and creating value for other players. And as he as he talked in all of his press conferences, the process was never about winning. It was never about being a. It was about being a champion rather than winning championships. Um, and and it was just so touching to tell. And what a what an act in a in a a state of humility that he must have been in in that interview. And really, you can tell he was for the entirety of his career that he he talked about. If I made an impact on people and if somebody misses me, that means I did something right. And it is a whole heck of a lot of people that miss him um, because we're in this weird phase now where DeBoer is in, which is great. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, man, it will no one. Everybody for the rest of time will be compared to Nick Saban when it comes to the coaching world of college football. Um, and, he, and, and the fact that he cared more about his impact and his influence than wins speaks just volumes of his character um, because he won more than anybody and he was better than anybody at the coaching in college football. Britain, the time I think was 45, 46 hours between when Saban announced his retirement and uh, Greg Byrne announced the hiring of Kalen DeBoer. What was that like for you? Because screen time for me this week was up astronomically. I won't say exactly how much because I have uh, an employer, but um, you know it's always up if you do if you work in communications. What was your screen time? And talk about your emotions because for me it was super tense, and I was uh, I didn't even have anything to do with it. Yeah, it was bad. I I kind of built a good habit of when I'm in class turning on do not disturb but like it felt like every two minutes I'd be like swiping down on my iPad as I was taking notes to see if there was any new notifications so like the do not disturb did nothing at the end of the day I I was constantly just checking and, and the funny thing about it is like it kind of got to day day two or probably like after the 20, first 24 hours where I was just like look at the end of the day it's going to come out eventually, but like I, I need to stop scouring Twitter uh, or X or whatever it's called now uh, every 20 seconds to see if someone's been hired because it'll it'll just happen. And, and there's so many. Greg Byrne is he's the ninja. He is the, the master of keeping things under lock and key. Um, I try to tell people about when he hired Oates and some of the stories around that and, and how he did such a good job throwing smoke screens at the right time and um, and obviously you're dealing with something that is just incomparable. There's never been a coaching search like this at the college level, it feels like. Um, and the ability to kind of keep everything under lock and key. Jimmy Sexton had an absolute master class over the last uh, few days. He got himself convincing everyone. Yeah, just convincing everyone that Alabama wanted him. Um, but I'm going to be honest, like 
was Kalen DeBoer my number one pick? At the time, no. And, and you know, I, I really liked Dan Lanning. I really liked uh, – I mean, D'Amico was always just the home run if we could have ever gotten him. But it, who would leave the NFL for college right now with the state of college football? Um, and there, there are a few others that I, I really thought would have been great fits. But the more I hear about Kalen DeBoer, uh, especially since uh, Greg Vernon picked him, I, I'm, I'm very, very fired up. Uh, he definitely is the most analogous hire to Nate Oates. Uh, and so kind of take that for what you will. And I would have said that before the coaching search had started. Um, but I, I think he's going to, he has the right mindset. It seems, it seems like he's really relational, which I just really appreciate. Um, and I think the offense will at a minimum, at a minimum we'll have some fireworks on offense and then hopefully we can figure out defense and get it rolling. Um, you know, I think we have been the most spoiled fan base of all time just objectively speaking. Uh, and so I'm trying to temper my expectations. And a lot of it right now is just maintaining roster, um, which is so tough in this transfer portal age. They, you know, somehow it's still open for like four more weeks. But um, at the end of the day, I think we have a chance to really be competitive next year, which is super exciting. Uh, and I'm, I'm bought in on DeBoer as if I wasn't going to be anyways. But I, I really do believe he is, he is the guy to carry on this legacy. And – um yeah i mean what kind of what were your thoughts throughout the 48 hours it felt like it was two weeks it really it's forever and that is absolutely insane of me because i have no influence or impact on any type of decision um i'm not even i don't work for i'm not affiliated with the program or the athletic department in any way right but as a fan and as somebody who's been bought in and cares it's a it's a passion and it's instilled in me over the last 17 years that this next hire matters. And so side story, I think in high school, I said, I will buy season tickets or I'll put my name on the list for season tickets when Saban retires. And it's going to be the perfect time to do it because you're going to have a few, not a lot of people jump ship. Um, and you don't want to be, you don't want to associate with yourself with those type of fans. Um, and then you're going to have people that come on board after the new coach is announced because they're going to be all excited and say, okay, I hadn't been a season ticket holder, but this is great. Alabama's successful. We're going to continue the, the success. It's time to get on board with season tickets. Um, and so anyways, right after the Saban announcement, I think it was Thursday, Wednesday night, and then Thursday morning I signed up for Tide Pride and got on the wait list. Um, but I had lunch at a lunch meeting on Thursday. So Saban announced Wednesday evening, and then Thursday at 11, I had a lunch meeting that lasted until 1230. So that's 90 minutes. Guess how many text messages I had in our college football group text, like from my friends? Guess how many? I'm guessing, I see 90 minutes, probably in the 200s. 292 text messages. Yeah. And I was like, you guys got to stop. And I'm contributing to the problem too. But as soon as somebody mm -hmm. would throw a name out there, um, you know, they'd say Glenn Schumann and I'd be like, oh, it's Glenn Schumann. Like, I got to research him. <laughs> I got to figure out his history and what he's going to bring to Alabama. And then they're saying Mike Norvell. And then someone says Dabo. And I'm like, I'm going to fight you because you said Dabo. Never Dabo. I'm team never Dabo. Um, so it was a whirlwind. Um, but work was able to keep me kind of grounded and saying like, all right, remember, you're here and that's going on <laughs> there and you support and you care, but you're a fan. And so. Uh, kind of separating the two is important. Um, ultimately, when it was DeBoer, uh, it was one of those, um, it, it's it's not a, 
like Nate Oates wasn't a sexy hire, right, at Alabama, but ultimately he became and is a prominent feature on campus, one of the best coaches in the country. Um, and you may not have even heard of the Boer, you know, before they, you know, Washington made the playoff or three weeks ago. Or if you didn't watch the playoff and you said Alabama's new Kevin DeBoer, you'd be like, mm, uh, who? But if if you had known, say, five years ago that you're not you're, well, I'm not going to tell you when Saban's retiring, but but when he does, you will have the national championship runner up coach. You'll have a, a coach with only four losses in division one football or over I mean, the last 104 and 12 record as a head coach yeah and then you it's, have it's he has unreal. six coach of the year awards um he beat the team who beat you in Saban's last season um in the semifinal who beat you by 10 at home um you'd say like oh of course that's the perfect candidate but a lot of people and a lot of Alabama fans, you know, prior to a week, two, three weeks ago, didn't know who this guy was. Um, but that's the type of hires that Byrne makes. And uh, people ask, you know, you just got to you got to trust it. And I'm I'm fired up. And I said this after watching his press conference yesterday. You can tell he cares about two things. One is relationships and two is winning, because if you listen to that leaked audio where he was talking to his Washington players, um, some coaches in college football don't even have that exit meeting with their team. He did. And he was, you could tell he was choking back and holding back tears because he cares so much about those guys. And I think we're going to see once you have that relationship, like Saban did with his guys, and they knew that he cared, they'd play hard for him, right? When he recruited, people would be um, enthralled and enthusiastic to go play for someone who cares about them so much. So anyways, those relationships and then the winning uh, will take care of itself because you're at Alabama. So Ben DeBoer is going to be a great hire. I'm excited, and uh, I'm going to Tuscaloosa Tuesday night to watch Crimson Tide basketball, and I hope he's there. I look forward to potentially uh, laying eyes on him across the court or something um, Tuesday. And with that, Britton, let's get into Tide hoops. Um, yeah, I mean, two in a week for the Tide, and I'm I'm kind of thinking we're back. You know, I, it's one of those things that when to say we were we're back, it's almost say we weren't. We were ever you know not back. We had five losses, but Realistically, four of them were good losses. I hate saying good losses, but against very good competition, all five were, I don't think any were against bad competition. They're all quad one games. Um, what I loved this week is you can see the guys are playing with joy right now, They're playing for each other right now, and the defense has really stepped up um, in a serious way. I thought the South Carolina game, you know, I think it was 30 to 29 at halftime, and you're like, oh, gosh, is this going to be a, a tight game? The defense was looking pretty good. Offense hadn't really taken off. And, I mean, we absolutely shut them down in the second half. It was really impressive to see, uh, albeit maybe not the greatest South Carolina team in the world, but, you know, they had a great record coming into the game. Um, I think they'll be a competitive team, and, and we made them look very not competitive. And then, um, you know, it was also great to see uh, Diabate uh, uh, really get some minutes and make a huge impact in that last one you know he hadn't really had a, a ton of action this year but just to come in and really make his presence known in a few minutes he had like six boards in like nine or ten minutes and uh so see him he's just a big energy guy i, I mark sears playing like an all-american right now it, it's just crazy to watch how how well he's playing absolutely tore up south carolina uh at mississippi state you know, we'll, we'll talk about that, in, I guess, in a minute. But we know how tough it is to win in the hump. So getting that one 
was uh was really big time, tied as three and um in SEC play. Only one other team in the SEC is also three and but we we don't talk about them much on this podcast. Yeah, I so yesterday, uh, obviously NFL was on. That had my attention just with Tua playing in negative twenty seven degree weather. Um, but that's not to say I didn't turn on the end of the game. And uh, as as Nate Oates famously said after the game in the press conference, you know, Tulu helped us on free throws. And I think that's hilarious because um, he's got to be one of the worst free throw shooters in college basketball. And it was brutal to watch. And I mean, our defense was good. So you got to give yourself credit in a way. But I mean, the how you don't adapt and overcome when you have a player like that from Mississippi State. I mean, you want to say it's poor coaching, but obviously he can he can do something on the floor um, if you've got him in the game. And so, yeah, I mean, and it wasn't it wasn't just him either because I, I think you know you'll have to check me on this. It felt like they missed their last six or eight free throws, and it was kind of at a point where we were up, but the game was in the balance, and they just they didn't want to win enough. I guess I don't know, but it was a sold out hump, which is not not disrespecting the Mississippi State people. That is rare. That's objectively rare. Uh, we have traditionally struggled there. In my four years, I won one one time there, and it was uh, the game that won us the SEC regular season, and it took everything we had. So it's it's a weird, tough place for us to play for some reason. And, uh, you know, they're always super physical, and that game was so freaking physical. And I, I, I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, I, Grant was definitely at a physical disadvantage, Garden Tolu. Um, but he he offered as much resistance as he could. I thought he played really hard. He had some great blocks. Um, we we're coming along. Like I think I, I was I was talking to a friend about that game and just saying that if we can, first of all, I thought it was huge for us to start four now, and we have another one coming up against Missouri um, because we have a really tough stretch coming up after that. But if we were able to get that Mississippi State game. We're looking like a top four team in the SEC, which I know for Alabama fans might not be, or maybe past that being the standard now of of what we're looking for. But that'd be a really strong season. Um, but we we're every bit as competitive as any team right now, I think, in the league. And it's just we got it. We got to get better and better and better at finishing games. Uh, and we are getting better. I mean, Mark Sears made some big shots. We made some big free throws down the stretch, unlike uh, the team we played against. But it was – I don't know. We we did things to win it, but they also did a lot of things to lose it, which sometimes that's all you need. But we got to just keep building on finishing these games because we're going to be in some tight ones. The SEC is really competitive this year. Um, and I, I don't know that there is one team that is just far above the pack. I think it's just everyone's kind of bunched in. But I think that you're going to see the best teams start to separate themselves because they're going to be able to finish these games. I, you know. Kentucky lost to A&M uh, in overtime yesterday, but they also had one earlier. Game. It was. And they lost one against Florida – or they won one against Florida the week before. That was close, and they were behind. And they had so, – so these really top-tier SEC teams, it's not going to be that they're killing everybody. It's that you're going to get to that final four-minute media, and you're going to look at these one- and two-possession games that are played, and the really good teams the SEC are going to be – five and two in those games, six and two in those games. And the really, you know, mediocre teams in the SEC are probably going to be two and four, two and five in those games. And that will be the difference. And who's going to be 
13 and five, 14 and four in league play and who's going to be uh, eight and 10, you know, it, it's really not the biggest gap this year. I think uh, our defense, if we can just keep building on that, because I, we turn the ball over a lot. Everyone knows the drill with that, but we are the best offense in the country statistically, according to Kim Palm right now. And so if we can keep building on that, keep building on the defense and just, rebounding toughness little things which i think we showed a ton of yesterday i was so proud of how we went in there and fought because you're not going to go into mississippi state and uh it, it'll batter and bruise you some because they're always i mean when they're under howland it was the same way as it is now they're ferocious on the glass they're going to screen hard they're going to play a little dirty not calling them dirty players but you know just they got a bunch of big dudes that might move a little more clumsily uh, at times and you're going to have to fight for everything and some teams can't withstand that I'm so proud of our guys for, for withstanding that and, and fighting back and getting the win um, and that's a huge boost I, you can just see though like the way they're playing for each other it's not like the quality of play is just so otherworldly especially on the offensive end it's definitely not um, than what it was a month ago but you can see the guys are playing for each other and if that can continue to build, that's what great teams do. That's the difference between Alabama going 14 and four in league play and Alabama going nine and nine or eight and 10 in league play. Uh, I'm telling you, this is going to be a year where the margins are pretty slim. I mean, they're kind of slim every year, but it's kind of my feel on it. And you mentioned uh, the turnovers. And I think now is a good time to remind everybody, especially the football fans that now are basketball fans because it's January. Um, when you play at the pace that Alabama does, of course, you're going to have turnovers. Of course, you're going to have um, nights where you don't shoot the ball, you know, 40% from three. That happens. That's that's conference play. But how can you find ways to win in Alabama's strength of schedule, I think, and the grind that they went through in November and December um, to be formed in, in the way that they play now is going to uh, gonna pay dividends down the stretch because conference play is a long, brutal um, it's it's a long, brutal task. And so, anyways, um, and and we'll wrap up. I'll ask you any final thoughts on Alabama, and I know we got to go here because we're not we don't we want our listeners to stay around. Um, but we want to get to Samford too, who's riding a fifteen game win streak. So, final thoughts on Alabama, and then preliminary thoughts on Samford as we kind of wrap things up here on the Mean Streets podcast. Yeah, final final thoughts on Bama is is we got a big one in this midweek against Missouri. Uh, should win it. Uh, this is in, in basketball, but like these tests your resolve as much as anything. These games you're supposed to go in and win. It's like, do you play the standard? Uh, obviously, people that have been following Alabama basketball long enough know that Alabama basketball is not always played to a standard. Um, so, uh, this is the type of game that we just need to go in and take, take care of business. And then we got a big one coming up Saturday, so that'll be a really great test for the guys. Uh, I'm really excited for it because we're building, and I, I you can see it. And then kind of going to Sanford, you know, right now they without Jermaine Marshall, who's one of the best players in the entire Southern Conference, he'll be back uh, before the end of the year for sure. Um, but, you know, they're without him right now, and they're playing at an unbelievable level. I think before the season, I just watching their prices, you could tell this was the team that was going to win it. Um, and, you know, you got to get the job done, but they're a 15-game win streak, playing for each other, playing super unselfishly. Uh, it's what Buckyball's always been about, and it's really cool to see this team kind of embrace that identity. And they got some dogs, man. Like, I mean, they put up what 74 in the first half, 
yesterday against VMI. Yeah. They, like, yeah, no, that VMI team's not any good, but we're not going to discredit what Samford is doing and the and the team and the chemistry they have. That's unreal. Now, I don't care if you're playing a D3 team. No disrespect to D3. Like, 74 and a half is unreal. So, um, the the team is playing at a super elite level. It's been super fun to follow. I'm hoping to make it out to some games uh, in the near future. But they got a real shot to do something that hadn't been done at Stanford in a very long time. So, I'm really excited to see it. All right. And you got Auburn coming up uh, in a little over a week. I think I saw a stat. Um, I can't remember who to attribute it to. It may have been Cereal Box, but Alabama hasn't played Auburn at home in Tuscaloosa on a Saturday in going on seven years, eight years, um, since 2017. I think that's seven years. Obviously, it is unfortunate that the games that have fallen Alabama versus Auburn on Saturday have been in Auburn. Now, this year, Alabama's playing Auburn on the road on a Wednesday as well. So it's, it's two midweek games. Um, but that one, you've got the top two teams in the league right now and have, should one or the other team drop a game, they'll still be a top. That'll be a top four matchup in the SEC. I think in about a week and a half here, um, mm-hmm. that one's going to be crazy. Auburn is playing really good basketball. we got to give a shout out to Carter Severa, a uh, former Mountain Brook, Hooper yep. for getting a scholarship to Auburn. Uh, well-deserved. He and Leo Berman now make two former Mountain Brook players on scholarship for the Auburn Tigers. Um, so that's all we'll say about Auburn. So we're happy for those guys. And um, But, yeah, happy for, them. happy for those two individually. Great, great guys, and we wish them all the best. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we're fired up to see what's going to happen here on the long stretch of conference play. We're going to be with you guys here, uh, hopefully on a weekly basis, if not a biweekly basis. Um, Britton, I will leave you with the last word. We've got big games, Samford and Alabama playing on Tuesday. Uh, Samford at Western Carolina, the Crimson Tide hosting Missouri. We'll hope to see you back here next Sunday. If not, check us out on the Mean Streets podcast. I'm William Galloway. Britton, take it away for the final word. Hey, it's always darkest before the dawn. And, uh, you know, when Saban retired, I think it was a pretty dark time for us Alabama fans. And, and it'll be a tough couple of weeks seeing guys that we love whether it be Isaiah Bond or whoever, uh, leaving the portal. But uh, I think that there are really bright things to come out of this, and I think we got a really special guy, Kalen DeBoer, so I'm really excited for it. Roll Tide. Roll Tide.